from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing as the Toronto Argonauts clinch a playoff spot by downing the Montreal Alouettes 39-10 at BMO Field. Before we get into all the details of this game, I just want to tell you a little bit about Something in the Water, our title sponsor. Make sure you get down to Something in the Water in Liberty Village. They've got the Longboat Pale Ale beer mug. You've got to pick this up. It's 15 bucks. It's a great deal. Looks fantastic. And it's got Colonel Troutman on the side. <laughs> Colonel Troutman's Colonel Troutman is like one of my favorite parts of the of all the cans at Something in the Water. But I love him for the Something in the Water Longboat Pale Ale where he's got the blue helmet on. And this being a Longboat mug, of course, you've got Colonel Troutman with the blue helmet. So make sure you pick up one of those. It's a great place to go. I know a lot of fans went down there after the game to grab a drink of Longboat. It's a great place pre-game, great place post-game, right there in Liberty Village, steps from BMO Field, steps from Lamport Stadium, the practice facility. JB, this one was almost over at halftime. <laughs> uh, this this was a this was a shellacking for what was supposed to be a battle for first place in a way. The Alouettes just sort of clinging on to the hope of catching up on the Argos and that faded quickly today. Yeah, we we you know when we saw how many players were not going to dress for Montreal, I think we we both felt that this was going to be a pretty uphill battle for Montreal, and you're just not going to be able to come into BMO um, with half a team and beat the best team in the CFL. No, no, that's it. And you have to pull out something special. They they almost did. There was a Chandler worthy almost touchdown uh, kickoff return that was saved by Boris Beattie. Actually, let's just talk about that play. I know we're way out of order. We often are on the post-game reaction podcast. But did you think when you saw Chandler Worthy break free of everybody and you saw that Boris Beattie didn't even really have the angle, did you think there was any way he would catch <laughs> no, Chandler Worthy? It, I mean, honestly, on that return, it it felt like, it. I to me, what I think what happened, it felt in hand. It felt like, like it was a good coverage and they had Worthy penned in and he was just able to reverse it and he catched he caught people sleeping a little. So I was definitely surprised. Sometimes you can see a big return coming. It looked like it was well in hand and definitely Beatty did not have the angle. I didn't think there was any chance he was going to get there. I'm sure Worthy We'll hear it from his teammates about a kicker crossing the entire field to track him down. Um, unfortunately, they scored on the next play, which kind of took a bit of the a bit of the fun out of the play. But uh, yeah, it was um, pretty impressive by Beattie to to kind of do the rugby heel tackle. Yeah, he's, he's such a good athlete. Like we see it at practice with, you know, he he plays quarterback for the DBs half the time. He's out there playing corner on the scout team. Beattie is a good athlete, but just to have him catch Chandler Worthy from behind. Mike Hogan on the broadcast next to me had already called it a touchdown. 
And because he was in the clear, there was no one close. I, I had already given up on the play too. I was I was just hoping BD didn't try too hard and pull a hamstring or anything like that. Cause I was like, well, there's no way he's gonna get him. And then somehow he's just so tall. He's six four and he's got that that great reach, was just able to to toe tap him. And that uh that was amazing. But yeah, like you said, it's too bad. Like of all the the defense only gave up one touchdown all day. If only they'd found a way to hold that drive to a field goal. That's you know, points that Boris BD directly took away. So still an amazing play. But yeah, I wish that one ended for his sake in a in a field goal or less. The Argos defense really shone brightly today. This was a story about all three units producing, but I think the defense went above and beyond. Let's let's take a look at some of the, the defensive highlights for the Argos. First of all, they only allowed 10 points total, and the one touchdown they allow is courtesy of a big special teams play. They create, what, four turnovers? They also force a turnover on down, stopping a, a third and short situation. So it's like five turnovers basically for the, the defense. Like that's that's unreal defensive play. They got a couple of quarterback sacks in there too. Montreal clearly trying not to uh, get sacked. Uh, that was a large part of their game plan. Maybe we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, yeah, what'd you see in this defense? Uh, yeah, I mean, the defense, you know, like I think that what we thought that the Montreal was kind of average offensively and the defensive line definitely controlled the running game. There was no chance they were going to get a running game going. Um once Montreal's best receiver, Mack, went out early in the first quarter, that took away the deep threat and really left Montreal um unable to to move the ball at all. I don't I don't think the defense ran anything particularly elaborate, just they you know, the, it wasn't very hard for them to be on top of Montreal. I think the I think the defense just dominated a um a team that had a lot of twos in. And I don't think Mac going I don't think he was a 29 point difference but I think it it mattered a lot like he was their he's their best player on offense and to have him go out I don't even know like I don't know why he was so angry like he seemed to he seemed to go to the ground with Qantas Stiggers they're both sort of grabbing each other's jerseys as they went to the ground and then he just like out of nowhere just punches Stiggers in the face and gets thrown out of course you're gonna get thrown out uh I and then a scrum ensued and there was a lot of pretty aggressive pushing and shoving like what was what was Montreal's problem today they seem know. They, yeah, so angry. I know it was it kind of started with this we're not gonna you know we're not gonna be bullied we're here too we're not gonna be overwhelmed uh it was a very weird kind of vibe where like they did that but then it didn't really translate into their play on the field uh, it was it was weirdly chippy like like you're like somebody in your neighborhood who you've never met suddenly picking a fight with you yeah, it did, and, uh, it did feel like, odd. Now we're gonna fight. Like who? Who are you? I, what? What are we? What are you doing? It was, it was, it was weird to to have them try and, you know, it's like a rivalry that we're not aware of. <laughs> yeah, it it felt a lot like that. Let's talk about that run game and how the Toronto defense shut it down. The numbers are odd. I don't know why William Stanback didn't get more. He had two carries. Well, now Walter Fletcher led the team in carries with five. So it's not like running was a big part of it. It just wasn't working. Montreal's leading rusher is Walter Fletcher with five carries for 10 yards. Like that was their leading rusher. They have 24 yards rushing total on 11 carries. Uh, Toronto just was was not going to let Montreal run. That seemed to be a big part. Instead of focusing in on the sacks, 
it seemed to be, let's force Montreal to beat us through the air, especially once Mac went out. Because they're like, let's just nail down this run. If you can beat us throwing a Cole Speaker and, and Chandler Worthy and, and Philpot, then great. But like Walter Fletcher was their leading receiver too. So that shows you not only in, in yards, but in targets. Like that, that's how... That's how much of a, a mess this was for Montreal's offensive units. Why they couldn't get anything going. Do you think this was the plan coming in? Just don't well, let Montreal run? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, to, to, you know, I think that that Toronto wanted to to focus on Stanback. But, I, you know, we we had talked about Montreal was down so many players. I, I'm, I'm not totally sure that Montreal thought that this was a game that they could win and that they were kind of saving up for the for the second half of the back-to-back and that's what it felt like it felt like that they sort of seeded this and you know will regroup and come back with a full squad at home in Montreal and uh, you know and not that they were trying to lose but it certainly felt like they realized they were up against it and and kind of made some strategic decisions about about the split which is really all they need yeah, they now it puts a lot of pressure on them though back at home because they desperately need it. Like I, I think they obviously they would love to have won this game, but like you said, they must have been looking at this as as like this this is going to be a tough battle. They're missing so many guys. They're like eleven guys that that couldn't dress for this game that were banged up in practice this week. Um, they're looking at it. You look at the standback carries and you think, yeah, maybe maybe they just didn't want to give him like fifteen carries, knowing that they're going to need him next week. I, I see what you're saying with that. I, I don't believe they came into this game like you if you ask the coaching staff or you ask Cody Fajardo like you know were you were you trying to win this game of course uh, they're trying to win this game but they're trying to do it with the healthy bodies they have and those players just simply aren't as good as some of the other players they've got that they're missing and once Mac went out it just seemed like this this might be impossible now they had a couple guys step up like I thought Cole Speaker did have a really good game uh, but they couldn't seem to get any rhythm with anyone else like uh, I kind of expected more from Sneed. He's played off of Mac's success pretty nicely, and he wasn't really involved. But they, uh, yeah, they just didn't look. Montreal did not look as good as they have, or as good as they did the last time these two teams met in Montreal. Remember that? That was Chad Kelly's only fourth quarter touchdown drive of the season because he hasn't needed any others. Like he hasn't been in the game trailing in the fourth quarter. There was one time, and that was in Montreal. Montreal gave them a heck of a game that time. And Toronto came from behind to win, but this did not look like the same team. So, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of that. I, I think that's certainly possible. Yeah, well, Toronto seems to have um, seems to be innovating a policy of having an amazing first and fourth, and maybe like taking the middle quarters off. And uh, it's really fascinating to watch. <laughs> it's it's weird. Uh, the now that <laughs> mirrored. It mirrored the wind, and I think that was a factor. The wind was a bigger factor than it probably looked if you're watching this game on TV. You could see the flags in the end zone billowing. It was the wind coming off the lake from the south. And when Toronto had the wind in the first quarter, they put up 20 points. That was the majority of their points. They were against the wind in the second and third, scoring only field goals. And then in the fourth, with the wind at their back again, they put up 10. So 30 of their 39 points came with the wind. Montreal, well, Montreal couldn't score no matter what. When they had the wind or against, actually, they scored they scored three points with and seven points against. It didn't seem to matter for them. They, they had trouble moving the football. But yeah, Toronto's offense, I, I don't, what did you make of their, 
of Toronto's offensive attack today? Because the numbers look fine, but they still don't look like they looked still no, a they little looked, bit they out looked of really sorts. disjointed. Um, Why? What what's causing that? Because it's two weeks know. in a row now where they haven't quite looked right, and I don't I can't pinpoint it. And that's sort of like it's kind of our job, and and I don't know what uh, I don't know really what to make of it. There were a couple of there, there were definitely a couple of passing plays where it looked like players were and the quarterback were not on the same page. Uh, whether you know they you know whether whether somebody's supposed to make a, a like an in route uh, adjustment based on the defense or they're just running different routes. Um, I'm I'm not sure, but there, that definitely happened a couple of times where, you know, there was just not on the same page. Like the ball didn't go anywhere near a receiver. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know why that is, but uh, you know, I I mean, it 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 definitely there definitely looked a little disjointed, and you definitely are very surprised at this level to have. Anytime, uh, you know, a quarterback throwing to basically nobody, um, that that is odd. So, little, yeah, it seems to be a little bit of some um, miscommunication between the wide receiver core and and uh, and Chad Kelly a little bit. The, the running game is is going well, um, but there's definitely um, some some things to tweak there on the on the other side. Kelly still finished the day completing 75% of his passes. So like the numbers are good. He's, he's 21 of 28 for 278 yards, no touchdowns or interceptions. But what stands out in the passing game, like of those seven misses, most of them were like, you know, one was a throwaway where there was a blitz on and he just wanted to get rid of it. Uh, another one, there was tight coverage on DeVars Daniels on the outside. He it looked like he intentionally sailed it over everyone's head because it just wasn't there. But there were two misses to DeVaris that I think usually would be touchdowns. Both came on blitzing situations. One was a post route to DeVaris that he was able to get one hand on, but it was just too high and he was wide open. Kelly had all sorts of time. It was it was a six-man pressure. A.J. Olette stayed in there, picked up the blitz really nicely. And Chad Kelly, usually in that scenario, puts out a, a nice ball for the touchdown. There it ends up going a little high. DeVaris can only just get a hand on it. That would have been a touchdown pass for him. That would have been his lead league leading seventh or eighth touchdown pass, I think, or touchdown reception. Um, and then another one, he was going up the seam on a seam route. Again, Kelly had time. He got rid of it and seemed to throw on the opposite side of uh, DeVaris' body. He, if he leads him inside, it's an easy touchdown. He throws it over his outside shoulder. Yeah, that was a weird one. Yeah, it fell incomplete. So just it seemed like those two guys, and DeVaris has been one of his favorite targets, and yet somehow they just weren't on the same page today. But you know who was on the same page as Chad Kelly? How about Canadian Tommy Neal, the McMaster slotback, who came in for what looked like an injured uh, Cam Phillips. Uh, Phillips made his one, uh, made a catch on his one target, a beautiful catch on a 23-yarder. Uh, I don't know if we saw him much after that. And uh, Neal came in and was lights out, seven targets, six catches, 84 yards. So nice to have Tommy Neal back yeah, in the Yeah, and like really a shoestring catch away from a huge touchdown catch. Yeah, I know. Oh, he was, yeah, he, he could have had an even bigger day. That one miss, the one miss that he that he had. And he was also tackled at like the two-yard line as well. Like, Yeah, the, he, he looked great. I mean, he flashed a little bit last year and... You know, honestly, he uh, he looks great. Um, I will say the one thing that kind of jumped out of me, sort of a random connection, is it, it does strike me that I don't know if they. I'm not talking about trading Tommy Neal necessarily, but if there was one trade I'd love to see the Argos do, I think that 
I'd love to see them bring in um, a veteran quarterback with this roster. I mean, if you look at this roster, which is built to win the championship, uh, if Kelly went down, even if he went down for a quarter, I think you need somebody with a lot of experience to come in. I think you don't want, you know, I, I think it with the way this team is, that's what I would have them go looking for. Like maybe he's a trade piece potentially because um, I, I really do think they, they need to improve that in the same way how they won the great cup last year and they needed somebody to come in. I, I don't think their quarterbacks are, are ready for that. And it kind of came really clear to me today because clearly this is a team is just qualified for the playoffs and are, are, are on a path to at least compete for the great cup. And, uh, you know, I, I do wonder if they're going to make something about that. It's interesting. They do have a lot of talent at the Canadian receiver position. I would hate to lose Tommy Neal, though. He's just so good. He's such a good special teams player. But that's the thing. You've got four Canadian receivers, all of whom contributed today, and all of whom are really not out of place at all as starters on the field. Like, if you wanted to start Tommy Neal... He was the best Canadian. He was the best receiver on the field today for either team. And Curly Gittins Jr., we know how good he can be. David Ungerer had a nice game too. Three catches on three targets. He's a guy that just catches every every targeted ball he has. And Dejan Brissett, who catches touchdowns. So this this is this is a stacked Canadian receiving yeah, core. Yeah, I mean that's what kind of popped into my head. I'm like it's so rich. Maybe you know maybe they you know maybe they send one to BC potentially. Maybe bring Dane Evans in. Man, it's interesting. And I wonder, and I wonder even like looking, thinking about BC, like they don't, the way they use Canadian receivers, like they, they don't really use them that way. Like outside of, of Katoy, that's not really a, a thing they do. So not that you can't, but that's, that's fascinating. Uh, I hate to lose any of those guys, but if there's something they've got a lot of right now, it's healthy Canadian receivers who can make a difference. So that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, if Hamilton target. wants to make a trade, <laughs> yeah, I, they certainly have lots of quarterbacks. I know. And Hamilton. Yeah. They, they've seen those Canadian receivers beat them up too. Like Tommy Neal had a huge game against them. Was it last year or in his rookie year? And then uh, we've seen, you know, Ungerer, they know very well. Brissett has caught multiple touchdowns against them. And we've seen what Curly Gittens Jr. has done against the Tiger Cats, too. So, yeah, they're very familiar with this this receiving core. I don't think there's a, a chance in a million they make a trade, though. Uh, I, I don't know. That's maybe a topic for another time. But, yeah, it did stand out today as you're watching all these Canadian receivers run all over the field. They had, they had three Canadian receivers out there at one time on a number of occasions. And that's... Not something that we've seen them do a lot. So interesting. Uh, just to pull the curtain back again, um, unfortunately, my computer doesn't have as much juice as I thought it did. So if I suddenly disappear, carry on. <laughs> okay. Can you can you not plug in while we're doing uh, this? I'm but... afraid that I don't want to get too too far behind the curtain. Okay. I cannot. Okay. All right. Well, if you suddenly disappear, I'll know why. Yeah. We'll figure out what happened. Yes. Carry I, on. All right. And I've got your players of the game and plays of the game, so I can cover you on that. <laughs> no worries. Uh, let's talk about AJ Olette. Massive game, 19 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns. Everyone was running well. Uh, Andrew Harris came in and had, had six great carries. Uh, yeah, won he, had the... that, he had like basically that rugby scrum. Oh, yeah. This, this crew definitely was uh, not tough on the forward progress. <laughs> no, no, I know. they Actually, I, I thought the game was well officiated today. I felt yeah. like they, they called a good game. They let the guys play. They called what needed to. And they, they came in and they stepped in when things started to get changed and sorted it out it never got out of hand so i Although did think i 
I mean, maybe it's just being a bit of a, but I mean, I, I would have thrown the player who hit Chad in the end zone out. Uh, it, yeah. He was, he was two yards into the end zone and he really stepped into him. That was, he could have just put his hands on him and given him a push. Like he stepped into him. I, I, I do think that's a bit. It got I think flagged. I think that's upside. Like it did get flagged. It was the ball oh, yeah. carrier. And then they went uh, offsetting. Yeah, well, because the Toronto stepped in and, and retaliated. Yeah, but I mean, come on. Anyways, uh, from a refereeing, I, I think I think a quarterback should be protected more. I don't think you should allow a defensive player to have a free shot on a quarterback like that. I don't love it either, but I thought it was a flag. I didn't think that was an ejection worthy play. I just thought it was one of those like, and he may get you know, he may get fined for it. But quarterback was a runner at that stage too. He just crossed the goal line. Like it was pretty close, but it you know it's clearly in the end zone after the play. But yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't have as much a problem with that one. I just didn't mm-hmm. want to see Chad take a hit, and he took a couple in this game. Didn't get sacked though. Let's talk about that offensive line. How about this? You know, Chad Kelly has not been sacked since you saw him play in Halifax. That was the last time Chad Kelly took a sack. That's that's astonishing. Yeah the the uh, the offensive line has been fantastic. I mean, you you just don't even notice them. There's just no. No jailbreaks. They're just getting it done. And then the running game, they're getting it done. And uh, all without Bladak. Yeah, I know. I know. What a luxury, too. Like, if he gets healthy, I I don't even know that there's a spot right now. This line's playing so well. A unit that hasn't given up a sack. They gave up a sack in the Calgary loss. (laughs) Yeah. I I certainly nominate you to tell Bladak that he's now starting. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And I'm not going to do that. But but it's I, I don't know how to disrupt it. Like, the only sacks they've taken were... Uh, it was it was when um, Cameron Dukes was in at quarterback in the loss to Calgary, but the last time that the last time that Chad Kelly got sacked was yeah it was in Halifax. It was weeks and weeks ago. It was like a, months ago at this point. They just keep a clean sheet every week. And the one time it looked like Chad did get sacked in this game, they uh, the Montreal team took a penalty for hands to the face of of Isaiah Cage, so that got negated. But he did take a few hits. He held onto the ball really long once, got it out, and just took a, a shot to the shoulder. And of course, there was the hit on his rushing touchdown, his league leading rushing touchdown. <laughs> you know the the stats, and, and they're still giving they're still giving a touchdown runs to Cameron Dukes. Like if Chad Kelly was the exclusive short yardage guy. He'd be way out in front of everyone else in the CFL for rushing touchdowns. So, yeah, offensive line playing well, Chad Kelly playing well, even when he doesn't look himself. Uh, JB, let's talk about that um, the special teams play. Javon Leak still with some really nice punt returns, uh, but he didn't spring one. Did you think one of those was going to go? Because it looked to me like one of them uh, had a chance to take off. Yeah, he, he definitely did have that one. He kind of was like an up-the-middle play. Um, looked like he was going to get there. Uh, yeah, I mean, but again, what we, it's just consistent. He, the Argos consistently had fantastic field position. Um, you know, he's, it's been, it's been terrific to, you know, it, it just, it just has absolutely changed this team. It's why the team is, is able to put up 30 every week because, the, you know, they're beginning every drive at the 45 or the 50. You know, it's like a, a jamboree. Um, where you get the start at half, uh, it's an incredible advantage. It has, it has turned them into, um, the juggernaut that they are. 
And the numbers are so funny too, because Javon League has a great day of punt returning, three returns for 46 yards. It's an average of 15.3. That actually brings his season average down. Like think about returning 15.3 in a game and it brings your average down because he came into this one averaging, I think it was like 16.7 yards per return, which was only one decimal place off a CFL record for punt return average. So that's that's the, the, the rarefied error that Javon Leak is, is dancing in right now. But he's just a threat on every play. You've got the other team thinking about it. Montreal punted out of bounds today. They're hanging them up so that he can't get any momentum going forward. It is in the heads of other special teams coordinators. And that's half the battle on its own. So huge, huge day again from Javon Leak, even if he doesn't get a touchdown. I think that's massive. Uh, JB, let's get into our players of the game. So where are you going for your player of the game in this one? Oh, uh, you know, once again, I think let, let's start the, uh, you know, let's start the siren up again for defensive Eastern Conference defensive MVP, uh, Darius Pickett. Incredible signing, incredible player. Um, so variable and multiple in what he can do on the field. Uh, had two fumble recoveries, uh, is a tackling machine, is absolutely um you know the the best player on the defense so once again i gotta go pick it and against his old team too you know when you look at that that montreal linebacking core from last year you've got like therese beverett is still in montreal but awe leaves goes to calgary and he's having the season of his life he's he's in like defensive mvp conversations and darius pickett comes to toronto he's in defensive mvp conversations montreal's got to be kicking themselves at losing those two guys especially when Pickett's the one taking it to them today. Well, you mentioned those two fumble recoveries. Both of them were really yeah, savvy. You could, you could have two former Alouettes win the two defensive MVPs. Pretty <laughs> yeah, good. I know. Like that's It's so frustrating to watch as your former guys are like, ah, you know, how does that happen? But yeah, Pickett, the... the uh, the one I think I think the the tap out of balance was almost more impressive, but they were both great. So on one play, it's a completed pass. I feel like it was completed to Cole Speaker, and I think it was Williams that knocked it free. Jordan Williams punched the ball out, and Pickett just as he is, he's always around the football. Sees that on the ground, picks it up, is able to get a pretty nice return out of it as well. The other one on the sideline was great. Jamal Peters comes in and just levels the Montreal player. The ball pops straight up in the air towards the sideline. It bounces. And just before it's bouncing out, Pickett dives and knocks it out of bounds because he knows that rule. It's just a very heads up play to have the wherewithal to, to know that on a fumble in the CFL, you just need to knock it out of bounds. And that's considered possession. And that happened twice in this game. Once was Pickett's. The other, Jack Kassar. How about a shout out for, for Jack Kassar on special teams? A ball comes free. Benoit Marion knocks the ball free. Kassar knocks it out of bounds to to take over. Like these are, these are huge heads up plays that Toronto's defense and special teams are making on a day where the offense was good, but not necessarily the juggernaut offense we've seen sometimes. Everybody steps up and plays a role. But yeah, back to the the topic at hand, Adarius Pickett, defensive player of the game. I think that's a, a no-brainer. For me, my player of the game has got to be A.J. Olette. 19 carries, 105, two touchdowns. Uh, had one target, no catches out of the backfield. They were feeding him. And you saw him motioning to the Toronto sideline on a number of occasions where He'd have a big carry and he'd look over to the sideline. He's like, yeah, again, again, again. There's a series in like the third quarter where they had stuffed Olette a few times in a row, but you just knew 
that they're not going to continue to do that on every play. It's hard to tackle A.J. Olette in the first quarter. It must be terrifying to tackle him when you're like barely holding it together. You're battered and bruised fourth quarter of a of a blowout game. You just I don't think anyone wants any part of of A.J. Olette coming downhill. And he had a couple of nice runs where once he got that momentum going, uh, these poor halfbacks and safeties that have to come in and stop him. Uh, not a position that I would envy at all. So he's my player of the game. I thought he thought he had a real spark for the offense. And he was the one sort of consistent factor today offensively with with both scores and a couple long runs. So, yeah, he, he gets my player of the game. A couple of shout outs. We got to shout out Tommy Neal. He had the best training camp of any Toronto Argos receiver, ended up getting a concussion, went on the six-game injured list. And when he came back, was just a, a numbers victim. There wasn't a spot for him because everyone was playing so well. Finally gets on the field and leads the Argos in, in targets and yardage. So shout out to Tommy Neal. In any other game, he might be the... the um, our, our game MVP, but yeah, just getting a shout out this week. All right, JB, where are you going for your play of the game? Uh, well, I mean, I, as I mentioned to you, maybe the opening toss. There weren't many sort of turning points in the game. I suppose for me, the A.J. Olette uh, 15-yard touchdown run was kind of the defining play of the game where Toronto's uh, talent and determination was just too much for a shorthanded Montreal team. And and that moment kind of crystallized that where they just didn't have the players who could make that stop. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, it didn't look like anyone wanted any part of that play. AJ Olette got ahead of steam. He built up like speed for 10 yards and you had him just flying at DBs. He ricocheted off somebody. Uh, and, it was just such a momentum turning series. Like my play of the game is actually going to tie into that play. And I'll get to that in a second, but let me just finish my thought on, on AJ Olette and maybe something I should have said in the previous segment when we were talking about him as my, my player of the game, but he's so hard to bring down on his second touchdown run. He was hit really hard by Sean Lemon and to bounce off Sean Lemon as though it were nothing is not that's not something that normal human beings do. He just kept kept the legs turning, kept upright. Like that can't feel good for either of them. Um, but yeah, he was just a machine today. So you can imagine as a safety or as a halfback, like a ten yard a head start. Uh, no, thank you. Um, I don't. I don't want any part of that. My play of the game happened a couple of plays before your play of the game. It was it was such a momentum changer. So the Argos are leading seven nothing. They kick off to Chandler Worthy. Benoit Marion comes down, knocks the ball out. Jack Kassar knocks the ball out of bounds. They take over. It's a short field, which Toronto's been on the positive end of multiple times this season. And that's like two plays later. That's AJ Olette running in for the touchdown. So my play of the game is that turnover on the kickoff, and that leads to your play of the game the touchdown run because once it's 14 nothing obviously the game's not over there it's not it wasn't even midway through the first quarter but you've built a mountain for Montreal Montreal is a team that's had trouble scoring touchdowns they're in a slump right now they can't they can't buy a win at the moment to put them down 14 nothing and they I don't I don't even remember if they'd lost I don't think they'd lost Mac yet but they were just about to um that was just it was a hill they weren't going to be able to climb so those two plays of the game that that puts it away early um, for uh, for Toronto. So, yeah, this is it. They go into this week now, JB, with a chance to clinch 
The East Division, if they can win their next game against the Montreal Alouettes, is Friday night. It's in Montreal, a tough place to play. Uh, slightly shorter week, six days uh, on this one for the Friday night uh, matchup. But yeah, I can't wait for this one. You know the Argos are going to be fired up trying to clinch the East on September 15th. It's so early in the season to be talking about clinching the East, but that's where the Argos stand now, thanks to putting up a 10-1 record. That will just about do it for us on this uh, post-game, what is the thing called? The post-game reaction podcast. Uh, for JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Yeah.